Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Booth podcast. I'm Evan Eich and he's Cody Clark. Cody, the NFL season sort of snuck up on us. We looked up and we're like, oh, it's almost football season because there was really no preseason games and there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of hype around it because of the disruption of the sports calendar of we're in the thick of the NBA playoffs. It kind of snuck up on us, didn't it? Yeah, no doubt. It definitely did. I, you know, I feel like, you know, I, I got a notification this morning that I had set in my calendar reminding me that I had a, that I have a fantasy football draft later on tonight. And I was like, Oh goodness. All right. Well, it's, uh, it's NFL time. Cause the season starts, we're less than a week away. So time to get, uh, time to get rolling with the national football league. Yep. This is the 2020 NFL season preview edition of the from the booth podcast. But before we get into all that, we are in the thick of the NBA playoffs. And what are your thoughts on NBA bubble playoffs so far? Oh man, I'm really enjoying this Miami heat Milwaukee bucks series. I think Houston LA is very intriguing. Uh, I think there's a lot of really interesting matchups, but definitely, you know, I think a lot of the talk the last couple of days has been Miami Milwaukee the Heat are up three to nothing in that series, three games to none over the Milwaukee Bucks, the best team in the regular season this year, uh, the best team in the regular season last year as well, find themselves down 3-0. There's a lot of conversation around that series, but I think, you know, a lot of what it comes down to is, is especially for me, this Miami Heat team is a tough matchup for the Milwaukee Bucks in the way that they play. Uh, I think Jimmy Butler is playing at a very, very high level for Miami. And I don't think he gets enough credit from a lot of people for the way that he plays uh, defensively, for the way that he can get people uh, involved offensively as well. We know that he can himself go off, as we saw uh, in an earlier game of the series, he scored 40. But I think it's just that tenacity and some of those factors that he brings to a team. Don't think he got as much love for that in Philadelphia. I think the Sixers definitely miss him this year, and it's a you know it's a gain for the Miami Heat because they're obviously enjoying his presence for sure. Later on this afternoon at two thirty Central Time, the Milwaukee Bucks are trying to avoid getting swept by Jimmy Butler in those Miami Heat. But for me, the series that I've really enjoyed the most of the round two of the NBA bubble playoffs are the defending champion Toronto Raptors and Boston Celtics, because I don't think I'm being hyperbolic here when I say OG Ananobi with that buzzer beater saved the Toronto Raptors season. Because oh, there's no question. I mean, that series tied it too. And as, as you know, that three that he had, I mean, if that doesn't go down, you're looking at three, one, and that could be it. As you say, because remember, at last year during the Eastern Conference Finals, the Toronto Raptors had that grueling, hard-fought seven-game series with the Philadelphia 76ers. Milwaukee immediately jumped out to a 2-0 lead, and we looked at that and said, okay, Kawhi took them as far as he could, Toronto's out of gas, it's a great season, but now it's, now it's Giannis's turn in the East. And then Toronto just turned it on and ended up running away with the rest of the series and winning the NBA title. If that shot doesn't go in, then the Toronto Raptors are down 3-0 to the Boston Celtics. Maybe these win game four anyway, but 
coming back from a 3-0 lead, coming back from a 3-0 deficit, instead of it being tied 2-2 like it is now, I that shot may have changed the complexion of the series and the Toronto playoff run as a whole. Yeah, for sure. And, and, well, and, and you know, Evan, I, I think the Raptors are another team that, you know, as the even in the COVID shortened season, Raptors have the second best record in the NBA this year without Kawhi Leonard. They've been doing it with Pascal Siakam. They've been doing it with Fred Van Vliet, with Kyle Lowry, who's playing at a very, very high level. So, you know, this Toronto Raptors team, you know, everyone looked at it last year and, you know, for as much as Kawhi did carry the team and Kawhi, you know, last year in the playoffs was the best player in the league, but they are doing that this year without him and are playing very, very well right now. Got down to nothing and a no-be shot uh, saves the game. Then you're able to snag game four to tie it up at two. And so, you know, I, I think you can't understate uh, the ability of these Raptors to to not count them out. As we said, 53-19 and 19 in the regular season, they had the second-best record in the league. Both Milwaukee and Toronto had the top two records in the league. The Lakers were one game off of them in the Western Conference, but the Raptors are, are a legitimate team, and I think some people might have counted them out after those first two, but Ananobi's three saves them in game three, and then, you know, they tie it up to, to send it to game five, not it up at twos. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to keep a close eye on those NBA bubble playoffs as they progress, and we'll get more in-depth later probably when we get to the NBA Finals and Conference Finals, but Cody, the NFL season is four days away on Thursday and the two biggest stories from cut down day arguably are from the same division the AFC South while one team in the state of Texas has dragged their feet on long-term quarterback contract talks uh, the other team had no such reservations the Houston Texans have locked up Deshaun Watson for a four-year 160 million dollar contract extension and that contract extension made Deshaun Watson the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL by annual salary behind only reigning Super Bowl champion Patrick Mahomes. I'm not going to ask if Houston made the right call because I feel like that's inarguable. But I guess the question I'll have to ask is, what does this contract mean for someone like a Lamar Jackson? Because you know that Lamar Jackson extension is coming up very soon. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting because I definitely think that Watson deserves to be there with the way that he's played. Um, but, you know, for me, postseason success is so important, and that's something that Watson is still looking for a lot of, and that's something that Lamar Jackson will be looking for. So while you can't, you definitely can't argue that both of those quarterbacks, talent-wise and where they rank in the league, are you know among the top five quarterbacks in the game today? But you know Patrick Mahomes, we know he's the the number one quarterback, the number one talent in the league right now. He's got a Super Bowl to back it up. You know some of those other guys are still searching for that, and, and it's not on just one player, and it takes an entire team effort. But at the same time, those are things that you need to see out of these court out of these young quarterbacks, especially when they have you know they are on those rookie salary deals. So now as they come up, now as Watson gets paid, uh, now as Lamar Jackson will come uh, to the table and try and, you know, be able to, to get the contract that he thinks he's worth, 
And now that I think we're going to see with the Kansas City Chiefs as well, you have to get very creative. You have to be you have to to have a lot more success in the draft and you really have to hit well in free agency because your quarterback now for the Texans is making a much larger percentage of the salary cap. We're going to see that in Kansas City, particularly beyond this year. Uh, but, you know, Watson's now in that category of you're making X percent of the cap. It's going to be a little harder for harder for us to field a team around you. And Watson has shown that he has played at a ridiculously high level. But I don't think anyone would question the need for the Texans to be able to protect him a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, with the departure of Hopkins, you know, what are some of those weapons that he's going to be working with? I think those are all fair assessments when you look at Deshaun Watson and that contract. Talent level, he's definitely there. But now that you're paying him that kind of money, you need that postseason success. And that's where we need to see him take the next step. The Houston Texan offensive line, according to Football Outsiders, has ranked in the bottom six in adjusted sack rate three consecutive years. In 2018, they were dead last in adjusted sack rate. So Deshaun Watson has not had the best in terms of protection up front from his offensive line. He was able to band-aid that a little bit when you have someone like a DeAndre Hopkins. like He's able to sort of atone for some of those sins. But as you've mentioned, there is no more DeAndre Hopkins in Houston. Their top wide receiver is Will Fuller, who is a solid wide receiver but has had issues staying on the field over the course of his NFL career. This was clearly the right decision for the Houston Texans. Like I don't think there's anyone who looks at where this team is right now, and with Deshaun Watson and saying, bad call, I wouldn't have done it. And I think that the pieces around Deshaun are going to need to gel and come together in order to take full advantage of that contract extension. Oh, there's no question. We're going to see it with Patrick Mahomes. I don't think as much this year, and you've got some of those pieces, Kelsey and company, in play for years to come. But, you know, We've talked about it ad nauseum, but there's a reason these teams have been able to load up on the front end of these quarterback contracts when they draft them, because as a rookie, you're barely making any money. Now that these guys are making 15, 16, 17, maybe 20% and north of 20% of the salary cap with some of these deals, it becomes infinitely more difficult to field a team around those quarterbacks and be able to have, you know, those high level players, you've got to draft well, you've got to hit on your mid-level free agent signings, and you've got to make trades and things that allow you to put the best team around them. There's no questioning that Deshaun Watson is worthy of this contract. There's no questioning that Patrick Mahomes, you were going to give him that deal. But, you know, as these other guys come available, you know, as you look around, You've got to be able to put the team on the field. I think, you know, Minnesota has done a pretty good job surrounding Kirk Cousins. He's earning a lot of money, but at the same time, now Dalvin Cook, his contract, his is up, and he's seeking uh, one of those big numbers, and that will further, you know, take away from what they can spend where they normally have, which is defensively, and they've been able to put a team out there that has been, you know, a, a, a top defensive unit in a plethora of categories over the past handful of years, it just becomes that much harder to do. And so, you know, those front offices have their work cut out for them because 
like you said, and I agree, I would have paid Deshaun Watson too, but now we have to have a plan in place to best protect him and best put the team around him to succeed because we know that it will be a little bit more difficult. And you don't have to look all that far to see where the kick the salary cap can down the road and figure out later thing goes south and goes south in a hurry. Uh, Go say hi to the Los Angeles Rams for us because that... (laughs) That just sort of on its own sort of shows that, oh, you can kick the can down the road, but eventually that bill's going to come due. And the LA Rams kind of put themselves in a in salary cap hell. Yeah, they're in a tough spot. And, and, you know, that just goes to the fact that, you know, they were able to put that team around them when Goff was, you know, on that rookie deal. And, you know, Goff signed his, you know, and it, look, it's not because, not solely because Jared Goff signed his deal and, you know, making a lot of money, but that does play into it because they are not able to field the same team as they potentially were when Jared Goff is making, you know, $648,000 versus making $25.68 million dollars. You know, or, or 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 those types of figures. So you definitely have your work cut out for you. And uh, the Rams, no doubt about it, find themselves in a tough position. Going to be interesting to watch the Ravens navigate it. Uh, watch Deshaun Watson as he just signed that deal. How do the Texans handle it? Lots of uh, teams looking around and watching what these guys are doing. The other huge move from cut down day from the AFC South is arguably the top pass rusher on the market, Jadavion Clowney, finally coming off the board, signing a one-year deal with the Houston Texans, or not the Houston Texans, the Tennessee Titans, excuse me. Uh, are you surprised that Jadavion Clowney lasted as long as he did on the open market before finally signing a deal? Uh, I think so, just because there is there's some injury history there. And a lot of things that I'd read early on in terms of the salary number that he was looking for, teams were teams were a little hesitant to pay that out, uh, specifically for a guy that perhaps had had some some trouble staying motivated, per, you know, for a guy that has had some uh, injury history. So I I'm I'm not surprised that it took this long, just because, like I said, reading some things early on. It sounded like it was going to be a little bit longer process for Clowney, but he's found a home with the Titans, a one-year deal. Um, you know, probably I think the one-year $12 million is the base. I think, you know, with some incentives, incentives, excuse me, it can work up a couple million from there. But, you know, early on in this process, he was seeking 15, 18, I think pushing 20. And so you know, those were a lot of numbers that were thrown out there. Um, but it doesn't sound like in the negotiations much more than $12 million for a year is, is where people were going. So while we might've been guessing that it was higher teams did did not value him at that point. And Tennessee was able to get him at that 12 million, add him to the defense. And after the run, the Tennessee Titans made, I think it is a good deal because we've seen when Clowney is healthy, uh, he is one of the most disruptive players defensively that the league has of uh, the former number one pick. I think that was back in the 2014 draft. 
but he he can be one of the most disruptive guys. He's going to have to go out and prove it in Tennessee, but I think a good deal and a good signing for the Titans. And Judavion Clowney is also a, an extremely talented run defender because since 2016, he has the highest rate of tackles on running plays that resulted in no gain or a loss of yards in the NFL on 5.8% of snaps, he, ranking number one in the league since 2016. The other guys in the top four are Grady Jarrett, Luke Keekley, and Calais Campbell. So Judavion Clowney, more than just a pass rusher, he can play the run if he needs to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a three-time Pro Bowler, three consecutive years, uh, 16, 17, 18, if I have those years right. Yes. He's a a guy that is a really, really, really good player. We've just seen some of the injury history and some of those other things kind of creep in and prevent him from growing even more. So, you know, the Titans add him. I think it's a good add with the head coach that they have and Mike Vrabel. And, you know, we saw the, the run that the Titans had last year. They have a lot of that personnel back. You add Clowney to that defense. I definitely think Tennessee is primed to to make another run. Uh, should have another very solid team in that AFC South. Yep, Jadavion Clowney signing with the Tennessee Titans, which means that they get a really important part of that defense shored up ever since the uh, loss of Jarrell Casey, the defensive tackle. But you bring in Vic Beasley and Jadavion Clowney. Uh, a bit of an upgrade on that defensive line. Jarrell Casey, Jarrell Casey was an important part of that Tennessee Titans defensive line, but I think that they'll be able to make up for it with Beasley and Clowney. Looking at the just the NFL season as a whole, Cody, the last two seasons we've seen Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes go from solid rookie years to... MVPs in year two in back-to-back seasons. So recent history suggests that it's going to be Kyler Murray's turn to make the Jackson Mahomes style leap. Is it Kyler Murray's turn? Are we going to get three years in a row of a quarterback in his second year walking away with the MVP? Uh, I'm going to say no. I think Kyler Murray is a fantastic player. I think he had a really, really solid uh, 2019, Um, you know, going for 3,700 yards, 20 touchdowns, 12 picks, uh, completed 64% of his throws and was 5-10 with the Cardinals, or 5-10-1, excuse me, with the Cardinals. I don't think that he is going to make it 3-for-3. I think you've still got the usual suspects uh, in terms of Mahomes, in terms of Watson, in terms of Lamar Jackson, I think you have some other guys uh, wiggle in there as well. But I'm going to say no just because I still think the Cardinals have some places around Murray that, you know, that will hold him back potentially or prohibit the Cardinals, you know, from being maybe a nine or 10 win team. I think when you're talking MVP, you're not only talking about, you know, a great individual season but you know when Mahomes and Lamar Jackson go back to back and win these awards you know you're looking at really really solid teams playoff runs um, those sorts of things in terms of the circumstances that surround that so I think Kyler Murray is poised to have a big year I just would think that the Cardinals I see them you know as a five six seven win team again 
I think that holds him back. I think the numbers will will be there and he'll have a good year. I don't think he'll quite turn in the Mahomes, Rogers, Lamar Jackson, uh, that type of company. But I do think he's going to be very much improved and will be, you know, potentially in the running for it. But if I had to guess, I would predict that he is not. I would say he's not either, but I feel like that has more to do with sort of the bias of just how MVP voting works. Because if the Arizona Cardinals stay on the projection of a team that goes seven and nine, eight and eight, or sort of like a sub 10 win team, it is virtually impossible to win the MVP without winning like 12 to 13 games and putting your team in a prime playoff position. Uh, I, I believe the last time a team won the NFL MVP without winning double digit games was I'll have to I'll have to look into that. Like I think maybe Barry Sanders in 1997 with the Detroit Lions and that and that was a long time ago cuz if you're going to win the MVP, you need to win 12 13 games, be on one of the top teams of your conference. So I I feel like that's going to be held against uh, Kyler Murray more than anything. Of they're going to look at his numbers and say, "Well, yeah, but his team's six and ten. So are we really going to call him an MVP on a losing team?" It's sort of the Mike Trout argument in baseball. Yeah, I I totally understand. I think that is what you know what kind of holds him what kind of holds him back a little bit. He can be you know the most valuable player on his team, but there is no question that the success of the team does play into the most valuable player, you know, in the league because, you know, you, you've got to have some of that team success. So I do see that. I do think you have that bias, but I think some of it is warranted. And I think that is what's going to hold him back uh, is the lack of overall team success. Cause I do think his numbers are going to be there. They were pretty solid in his rookie year. And we know the ups and downs, especially at the quarterback position, the guys go through in a, in a rookie season. So I think he's poised for a big, big year this year, but I don't think, you know, we're talking big as in, um, as in potential MVP of the league. Interesting fact about the Arizona Cardinals last season, they set a franchise record for most yards per rush with 5.09. And think about how long the Arizona Cardinals have been around. Like that was the franchise record for, average rushing yards per attempt in a season. Yeah. The the team at its core that Cl- uh, Kip- Cliff Kingsbury is a product of that air raid style offense, so he is a pass first coach at his core. Do you think that adding someone like a Deshaun or not a DeAndre Hopkins is going to take the pressure off of Larry Fitzgerald because Larry Fitzgerald is still a solid upper-level wide receiver, but he's 37 years old, and finally having someone taking the pressure off of him is going to is going to, I think, allow Cliff Kingsbury to be a lot closer to the style of offense that he is known for, especially when he was in the college ranks. Oh, there's no question. I think having DeAndre Hopkins is going to be huge because it takes pressure off Larry Fitzgerald. But also don't forget you have a pretty solid young receiver in Christian Kirk, the 23-year-old who can absolutely fly. 
who had almost 70 catches last year for more than 700 yards, averaged 10.4 yards a catch, and he is a home run threat. Hopkins is a possession receiver. He's a home run threat as well. Just a really solid wideout. So I 100% think adding uh, DeAndre Hopkins to that mix is definitely going to pay dividends for Kingsbury, definitely going to pay dividends for Kyler Murray, no doubt about it. That's going to take a ton of pressure, you know, because you'd look at it and last year, you know, the 36, 37-year-old Larry Fitzgerald is your number one wideout. Well, now he can be your number two, maybe your number three behind Christian Kirk. We saw good things out of uh, Andy Isabella, who's a, a young guy as well. We saw some bright spots out of him. So I definitely think that adding Hopkins, you know, is huge for the young quarterback because it's a very experienced wide receiver, very talented wide receiver, and that's going to draw extra eyes and that's going to take some of the pressure off of a couple of other those players, namely Kirk and Fitzgerald, which will only help them too. Now, last question on the Cardinals before we move on. The NFC West is arguably the most difficult division in football in terms of just team talent. Like that division goes three deep. Can Arizona win nine games? Oh, that's a good one. I think they can. I see them this year as seven and nine. I think an improvement from last year. Um, I think they can get there. I do think they are very intriguing offensively with Murray, with Kenyon Drake, Hopkins, Kirk, uh, Fitzgerald. I, I think they could, but I'm going to say they're a seven-win team. Uh, that that division is still so tough. I don't think they're on the Seahawks level. I don't think they're on the 49ers level. You know, I think they can be involved with some very interesting games with the Rams, maybe split those. But still, that division is so, so tough at the top with the 49ers and the Seahawks. I would say seven wins for the Cardinals would be a big year for them for sure. Seven sounds about right for their ceiling, especially when you have to play against the 49ers and Seahawks twice a year. That that just sort of feels like their ceiling at this point, seven wins. But staying in the NFC West, last year's NFC champion and Super Bowl runner-up, the San Francisco 49ers, came up just short against the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Is there going to be some sort of a Super Bowl hangover with the San Francisco 49ers coming so close and just watching Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City do their, do their thing and pull it out in the final six and a half minutes? I mean, I think there could be a little bit of a hangover, but I still think that 49ers team is so good, particularly on defense. They start the year with the Cardinals, the Jets, and the Giants. A real chance to jump out to a 3-0 and start before they play the Eagles in Week 4. I think there could be a Super Bowl hangover, but I just think the team is, uh, you know, with Jimmy Garoppolo and company, is, is just too solid for that much of a letdown. Super Bowl hangover to me is, you know, having a down year. I don't see Kyle Shanahan and company with Garoppolo and the running attack offensive line that they have. You know, I just, I don't see a huge, huge letdown. Are they going to make an appearance in uh, back-to-back Super Bowls? I would bet against that. But if I was looking at, you know, everything else and taking it all into consideration, start the year with the Cardinals, the Jets, the, the Giants, I think the 49ers are going to be just fine. I don't see too much of a hangover there. Over the last few years, the Super Bowl runners-up have made the playoffs. Uh, in 20, 
17, the Atlanta Falcons made the playoffs after winning the Super after losing the Super Bowl. So did the New England Patriots. The LA Rams did not make the playoffs after losing. So two out of the last three Super Bowl losers made the playoffs the following year. So in terms of a missed playoffs hangover, uh, recent history suggests that they'll be back in the postseason. Yeah, no doubt. I definitely think so. What is your favorite storyline going into the 2020 NFL season? Like the one story that you feel doesn't get talked about a lot, but is secretly fascinating. Ooh, secretly fascinating. That's a good one. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's all that much of a secret, but I'm just so fascinated by the NFC South because you've got the introduction of Tom Brady and to that Tampa Bay Bucks team. You look at them with a couple of, you know, you could argue two of the top, you know, 10 wideouts in the league. But, you know, the Saints with Drew Brees still have Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara. I do think Carolina is interesting with. Teddy Bridgewater with Christian McCaffrey. The Atlanta Falcons are a team that we've sh- we've seen can beat anyone. The last couple of years, they've been very, very beat up and banged up and injured. But the Falcons are liable to go out and put 40 points on just about any defense as well. So it's been talked about ad nauseum. It's not really a sneaky story for me, but I think that division is loaded. I think the Saints are still the class of it with Drew Brees and company. But how does Tom Brady adjust? Are the Falcons able to stay healthy? Because if they are, I think they can win 10 games. And the Panthers, you know, don't count them out. Bridgewater, Christian McCaffrey, still working on building that defense. But, you know, DJ Moore, a young wide receiver, Curtis Samuel there as well. There is a lot of young talent on that Carolina team too. So, you know, it's not sneaky or underrated. But for me, the NFC South is going to be just as fun to watch as, you know, the NFC West and some of those other divisions that are, traditionally close i mean if all things break well and everyone is healthy you could see you know it wouldn't be out of the question to see three teams from the nfc south come out of that division and with uh, the addition of another wild card so you know I, th- I think the falcons could be that good if they're able to stay healthy uh, could could be 10 games and be right in that mix so i'll say the nfc south i know it's not sneaky but i'm just so fascinated to see you know, the aging Drew Brees with still a quality Saints roster. Are the Falcons able to stay healthy? Teddy Bridgewater with Christian McCaffrey and a young wideout. How does that work? And then obviously Tampa Bay with uh, Tom Brady and with the prolific offense that they have and now just signing Leonard Fournette. That that division has storylines all over the place. That That is a solid pick just looking at the NFC South division as a whole when you look at of the two quarterbacks in the NFL that are over the age of 40, they're both in the same division, Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Uh, for me, the, the sneaky storyline that I don't think gets talked about all that much is the inverse of the Tom Brady, of the Tom Brady. Tom Brady leaving the AFC East feels a lot like in the last dance when Michael Jordan went to go play baseball and the rest of the teams are like, oh, finally, now we have a chance. Like, like that's just kind of the sneaky thing for me is like, we've just sort of decided that it's, it's Buffalo's turn now, but are we sure it's Buffalo's turn? Like, are, 
are we sure that Cam Newton and the Patriots aren't just going to be still the class of the AFC East? Like, I feel like that's the storyline for me to watch is what happens in that AFC East now that there's no more Brady. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point. I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, I think the Dolphins have an intriguing team. Uh, we are, You're right. We've kind of just said, hey, it's going to be the Buffalo Bills to take that next step. But all you got to do is pop in some tape of that Buffalo-Houston uh, playoff game last year, and you see some things out of a young Josh Allen that you're still – you still watch and go, you know, they've got to be able to clean that up a little bit if they're going to take that next step. Defensively, they locked up Tredavious White to a massive deal. Defensively, Buffalo is going to be phenomenal again. They have good weapons on offense, but can Josh Allen continue to progress in his young career? That will be something to watch. And the New England Patriots, they still have Bill Belichick. They're bringing in Cam Newton, who has something to prove. I don't think you're just going to see a, a packet in for the Patriots and they win, you know, three or four games without Brady and fall apart. Defensively, still a good team, and and I think they're going to be in that conversation. You know, like I said, with with Belichick leading the charge. So, I think the AFC East is very intriguing. I agree with you. I think everyone's ready to just ascend the Buffalo Bills to that spot. I, I think they're ready. I think defensively, they're the best team in that division. Uh, no questions asked for me, but you know, we've got to see some more progression out of, out of Allen and, and we've got to see him ultimately go prove it because, you know, some of that, we still have some questions about in terms of watching, uh, the late season and run to the playoffs for that bills team last year. There were times during that bills, Texas playoff game where I asked myself, am I, am I watching an NFL game right now? (laughs) that was the most bizarre, I don't understand what I'm watching game, especially playoff game that I can remember within the last five to six years. Because there were moments in that game where it's just like, I have no idea what I'm watching right now. Like, this is... No doubt. Especially that last play by Deshaun Watson, where he did some flag football, Harry Houdini type stuff, he should have been sacked like three or four times in that last play before setting up the winning score in overtime. Like there were, I'm going to have to rewatch that playoff game to see if it holds up for like its weirdness. I'm going to have to rewatch it and see if it holds up. Yeah, no doubt. I definitely remember being that way. You'll have to uh, rewatch and let me know, but I'm, you know, can Alan take that next step? I think if he takes another step, you know, in the right direction, they will win that division. They are the class of the division, but there were saw enough in that game to, you know, to really look at it and go, hmm, we'll have to see what happens because, you know, we still see some things that Allen needs to work on. Yesterday in the NFL was roster cutdown day, and since there were really no preseason, there were no preseason games. All of the quote unquote NFL preseason were inner squad were inner squad scrimmages. But teams still had to cut down to 53. We saw some interesting decisions on cutdown day. Is there one that sticks out to you more than than others? Uh, I don't think one that sticks out to me more than others. Which what was your most surprising one? Uh, I wouldn't exactly say surprising, but the Jacksonville Jaguars moving off of Leonard Fournette just. Hearing all the reports that have come out, uh, 
in Jacksonville, um, it doesn't sound like many tears were shed when Leonard Fournette was let go. Uh, but it's more surprising of just the complete dismantling of that 2017 Jaguars team. This was a team that in January of 2018 was 10 minutes away from the Super Bowl, and since then, they have really just burned the foundation of that team to the ground. Uh, They had four pro bowlers on defense on that team, A.J. Boye, Calais Campbell, Malik Jackson, Jalen Ramsey, all four are gone. And with the cut of Leonard Fournette, there are only now 11 guys currently on this 2020 Jags team that were there in 2017. It's just the actual cutting of Fournette as a whole was not shocking, just given by how team how guys in Jacksonville felt about him, and he didn't seem like, Mr. Popular down there. It's just jarring how quickly everything changed in Jacksonville, going from 10 minutes from the Super Bowl to firmly in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's definitely a tank in progress, it would seem, in Jacksonville. I I guess Adrian Peterson might be one for me, just because I know he's a 35-year-old running back, but seems like Adrian Peterson uh, did well for... Uh, Haskins in Washington and would be a guy to have around uh, for sure. And as we saw, Peterson, you know, was was picked up by the Lions. But I think Washington cutting AP, it sounds like he did a lot of good things in that locker room, particularly for the young quarterback in Haskins. So I was kind of surprised that Washington let him go. Obviously not part of any team's long-term plans, but I think there's enough, and Detroit was one of them, there would be enough teams that would be willing to bring in the 35-year-old you know, on a one to, uh, on a one year deer deal to kind of help uh, serve as a mentor. Still has some stuff left in the tank, but I think can teach some of the younger players, uh, and that's definitely worth the one year contract, which he ultimately got from Detroit. So I was kind of surprised Washington moved on from him. Yeah, especially when they had already moved on from Darius Geis, another young running back. So that that running back room had. Do you remember Bryce Love from Stanford? Absolutely. Yeah, he's in that. He's on the Washington team. I had forgotten about him. Like he, and a good player too. Yeah, I had forgotten. It's like, oh yeah, that's right, Bryce Love. He's there. Uh, he he made the fifty-three man roster in Washington for their running backs. Uh, what were your thoughts on Miami uh, pulling the plug on the Josh Rosen experiment? Like you you knew that his days were numbered as soon as he walked in because. They talked about, it was like, okay, well, this Miami team is clearly tanking for Tua, and if this team goes 3-13, and it's a miracle. Like, they went 5-11 and last year, and I can't remember the last time a team won five games and everyone looked at that and said, Brian Flores, that guy is a miracle worker. What an incredible job going 5-11. and Like, I can't yeah, really that was think... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think they responded to Flora as well. I, I think that Rosen, not surprised because, you know, Tua Tungavailoa is is the next guy for them. And so you've got Fitzpatrick, you've got Tua. There's no need to keep Rosen around as your third guy. It's going to be one of those other two. So wasn't surprised that we saw that experiment end. I think the better question is what's Rosen's next move? Where does he get that next chance if he does? Because – I don't I don't know where that one's going to come from. 
I think someone is going to take a shot with him because he's still he's still in a really young guy. He's he's only 23 years old. He's only 23 years old, but yeah. part of that is hmm, top 10 guy and he's been in the league for 2 years and both teams have given up on him and you can make the art well at the time when Steve Kime moved off from him, everybody's like, well, you just drafted this guy top 10. What the hell are you doing? You can't do this. But then they got Kyler Murray. And I don't think there's anybody in Arizona who wishes they still had Rosen. Now that Kyler Murray is there, but he walked into two just terrible situations. He walked into a situation in, Arizona, the Steve Wilkes era lasted one year. Uh, team Craters, they bring in Cliff Kingsbury. He's going to want his own guy. And you knew his days in Miami were numbered the second he walked in the door. Because last, yeah. last year, there wasn't even a shred of, well, maybe Josh Rosen's the guy. It was, no, we're playing for Tua in 2020. We're playing for Tua. Like, there wasn't even a shred of, well, maybe Josh Rosen could be the guy. He has been dealt the worst hand of hands you could possibly be dealt as a young as a young player. Oh, no question. And so it, it's going to be interesting to see what's next for what's next for him and where that chance comes from. Uh, you know, I think you know somebody with a veteran quarterback that could bring him in. I think would be a landing spot, but we'll see what happens because, yeah, he's just been in a bounce-around tough spot. Well, now that The Rock has bought the XFL, um, XFL Josh Rosen? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you never know. Maybe that's the next uh, next opportunity. Yeah, because we joked about like inevitable XFL MVP Paxton Lynch. Uh, he was let go by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, like, he was a guy that I honestly forgot was, like, still in the league because he's someone I haven't thought about in a while. But it's just just a rough just a rough hand being dealt to Josh Rosen, who's still extremely young at 23 years old. I wonder if he's I, – I hope that he makes some sort of a bounce back and is able to have a – and is able to have a solid career after this. It's just – I feel for the guy. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. I mean, it, it, he's, he's been in some tough spots and, and hopefully he does get a chance because I do think there's a lot of talent there. He just hasn't been uh, in the most advent, uh, advantageous situations to show it off. Week one of the NFL season starts Thursday night as a, as a rematch of the AFC divisional playoff game between Houston and Kansas city. That is Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Central Time on, I believe, NBC. Uh, We're going to see an NFL season, at least to start, without fans. There are some teams that have announced that they're going to have their stadiums at like 15 to 20% capacity, while a good chunk of the NFL said, at least for the month of September, no fans. Cody, if it was up to you and you owned an NFL team, would you have fans in your stadium in 2020? Uh, I would have them. Um, I would have, 
you know, the, the 25% capacity, the, the tiny capacities we're talking about. But when you look at, you know, lost revenue and such from these teams, I think it is important to create a safe environment where you can have fans. I think spreading them out, not having a ton is the answer, but I definitely would be trying to figure out safe ways to put fans in the stands because I think you, you know, you want to recoup some of that money. You want to provide that experience and make it a little more normal for your players that are out there. Um, so I would definitely be working on the best way to put them to have fans there because I think it contributes to the environment, allows you to recruit revenue. Uh, I think it's positive for the, for the, to have, you know, for the players. So I would definitely be trying to figure out how to make it happen. I would say if there is a way to do this in a safe manner where I can, I won't say guarantee because that's not possible, but if I can do this in a safe way where I can feel as confident as possible that nobody's going to get sick going to my stadium, I would ha- I would have fans. But I also understand teams' decisions to say, no, we're going to we're going to keep our stadiums empty. Yeah, no question. I, I think you've got to figure out how to way to uh, figure out a way to get fans in there. Um, did not wanting to overcrowd things or compound the issue, but definitely, definitely trying to figure out how we can put them in there. Looking at the week one slate, is there a game that you are the most looking forward to? Um. If you're talking week one uh, NFL slate, uh, you know, for me, it's become appointment television to watch uh, Patrick Mahomes. And so that Thursday night Texans game with the context of the salary, you know, and the uh, the contract that Deshaun Watson just fine, just signed, excuse me. I think Texans Chiefs is very, very interesting. But I'm going to look to for the game I'd really like to watch. I'm looking forward to Packers Vikings on Sunday just because I think the Vikings are an intriguing team. I think the Packers are intriguing as well because I think Green Bay overachieved last year. I don't think they're a 13 uh, 13 win team from the talent that they have. I think they're still going to be a very good team and with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, They're going to be very, very formidable. But I thought they overachieved. And I think Minnesota is, again, going to be going to have a tough schedule. So maybe we're talking eight, nine, ten wins in there. But I think they have a very, very, very good team. And so, you know, I'm intrigued to watch uh, Green Bay, Minnesota, because we get that rivalry game very early on in the season. And we get a, a matchup between two teams that I think are very, very solid, but both still have question marks that we're trying to figure out and trying to answer. Yeah, especially in the Green Bay side, when they drafted Jordan Love, and I feel like we're going to get a pissed-off, motivated Aaron Rodgers, and he is going to be as close to 2010, 2011 Aaron Rodgers as we're going to get. Because I, I, I mean, he can say publicly that, you know, Jordan and I are cool, and there's no animosity, there's no beef there. But we know privately he's he's not happy about it. And I wonder if there's going to be sort of that, that pissed-off chip on his shoulder. All right, you drafted my replacement? Okay, well, I, I can show you I can, I'm Aaron Rodgers and I still got some stuff left in the tank. Absolutely, I think that could be one as well. Speaking of appointment... Or that could be the case, excuse yeah. me. 
Speaking of appointment television, there was not a player in college football that was more must-see, stop-what-you're-doing-right-now TV than Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow will make his NFL debut against the Los Angeles Chargers. That's what I'm looking forward to is game one of the Joe Burrow NFL career. I I don't think we're going to get that game on... T- I, I hope we do. I hope that where I live locally we get that game on like CBS or Fox, but th- that's what I want to see. I want to see Joe Burrow in his first NFL game. Oh, no question. I mean, I- I'm so intrigued about that because you look at the roster he had around him at LSU and it was NFL draft picks everywhere uh, in terms of talent level. That's not quite been the case uh, in Cincinnati with the talent that they've been able to put around uh, Andy Dalton and company in, in recent years. So that is going to be an interesting one to watch to see how Burrow performs. Uh, no question. Uh, that's going to be something that, you know, I'll be looking forward to watching because of that. I think he had such a big breakout year last year that the expectations are high and we'll see if uh, he and the Bengals can live up to that. Yeah, that, that's going to be the 305 Sunday games. So that's going to be in the second window of week one Sunday games. Uh, during week one of the NFL season, Cody, let's let's look let's make some divisional playoff picks and also some MVP picks and bold predictions. Uh, I'm going to start on the NFC side of things. My division winners were San Francisco, New Orleans, Dallas, and Minnesota to win the four NFC divisions. And there's three wild cards now instead of two, so there will be 14 teams in the playoffs. My three wild cards are Green Bay, Tampa, and Philadelphia. Um, uh, what 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 is your NFC picks? So my NFC picks for division winners are actually going to be Seattle over San Francisco. Uh, I will also take Min- I will also take um, I'll take the Cowboys to win the NFC East. I will take the who did I just have the Seahawks to take the West. That will leave the Vikings for the North, and I think the Saints win the South. And I do think, uh, like you, I think the Buccaneers are a playoff team in the wild card. I think Philly is a playoff team in the wild card. And I guess I'll go with Green Bay because they, or uh, excuse me, uh, the 49ers. I'll have the, the 49ers as a wild card. When, now that we have seven teams in the playoffs, what do you think is going to be the cutoff for the seven seed? Is it nine wins? Is it ten wins? Are we going to see an eight and eight team get the seven seed? Like this might honestly be one of the most secretly fascinating parts of the NFL season is we don't know what this new playoff format is going to look like now that we have seven seeds. Yeah, I think... Honestly, in the AFC, I think you could see somebody sneak in like that. But if you're talking the NFC, I think you're looking when you talk about, you know, Saints, Bucks, Packers, Vikings, 49ers, Seahawks, Cowboys, Eagles. I mean, you're, I think you're going to have to have double digit wins. Maybe you could have nine and get into that seven spot, but I could see seven teams with double digit wins. Uh, so I think you're going to have to go at the very least nine and seven to make the playoffs in the NFC. No question about it. So it sounds like we have mostly the same seven on the NFC. Pretty much just in different spots. You have San Francisco winning the division. I have Seattle. 
Uh, I have, um, who do we have? We both have Dallas. We both like New Orleans. Both of us think Tampa and Philly will be in the playoffs. Um, so I think our, our only difference is Green Bay. On the AFC side of things, I picked Baltimore, Kansas City, Houston, and Buffalo to win the four divisions. And the wild card is Tennessee, Indy, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because the Pittsburgh Steelers, if there were seven AFC seeds, despite all of their injuries and below-average quarterback play with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph, they still would have made the playoffs if there were seven seeds in the AFC so knowing how they were able to go through all of that junk with no Ben Roethlisberger and Mason Rudolph getting hit with his own helmet, that they still somehow almost made the playoffs, makes me think what would happen if they had Big Ben. Yeah, no question. I, I, I like the Steelers to make the playoffs as well. I go, I, I go Buffalo in the AFC East. I go Kansas City in the West. I go Ravens in the North. I'm going Titans. Uh, in the AFC South over the Texans. I think Texans are really going to miss Hopkins, uh, you know, and, and signing Watson to that deal and not having a Hopkins to throw to, I think is going to play into it. I do think Houston will make the playoffs. So I will have Houston in. I also think that the Pittsburgh Steelers get in. What they did last year was incredible with the quarterback play that they had. So that would leave the, that would leave the Texans and the Steelers uh, in the playoffs. And then I have one more spot. And with that, I think the uh, I'm going to take the Broncos. I think the Denver Broncos with Drew Locke are ready to to take a step. And I think that he played really well last year. They have some nice young pieces, and I, I think Denver sneaks into uh, an AFC wild card spot, that very last spot. So it sounds like we both have New England and Cam Newton sitting at home come January. Uh, we do. I do think they'll be in the mix for one of those wild card spots. I don't know if you can count them out, but I just don't love some of the uncertainty with Newton coming off the foot injury and some of the problems that he's had. You've had a number of Patriots uh, opt out, including some high level players. So while I do think that they're not going to be a dumpster fire, uh, I don't know if they're going to have enough to sneak into the playoffs, but I will say I do think the AFC is much more jumbled up. So would I be surprised if they're in the mix? No, but if you know we're making a prediction, I'm going to predict that they don't they don't uh, they don't get there. Well, that kind of spoils one of my bold predictions. Um, <laughs> but now that we're kind of both on the same page, I feel like a little bit better about it. Uh, my awards picks are MVP Patrick Mahomes, Offensive Player of the Year Michael Thomas defends his Offensive Player of the Year title. Defensive Player of the Year is Nick Bosta, because that kid is a monster. Like, he had an incredible rookie year. And Coach of the Year, I know the trendy picks are Arians, uh, Belichick, you know. I'm going to go with Mike McCarthy, because that was that Dallas team should have made the playoffs easily. The They just couldn't get out of their own way. And I feel like there's going to be a Jason Garrett tax or a Jason Garrett threshold where if Mike McCarthy is going to get credit for just not being Jason Garrett. So if he's able to take that team to 12 and four, 13 and three, I could see him getting coach of the year. Yeah, that's a good one. So 
I I also think Mahomes for MVP. Uh, I'm gonna take Clowney for Depoy. I think that uh, I I love Nick Bosa and where he's at, but I think a change of scenery for Clowney is, is gonna do him uh, wonders. I'll take him there. Offensive Player of the Year. I'm taking Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I think that what he does for his team, catching the ball and running the ball, just you can't simply overlook that. Coach of the Year always bugs me. Because like in the NBA this year, it should have been Billy Donovan because what the Thunder were able to do with where everyone had them picked and the lack of respect that they got and what Oklahoma City did on the floor. I think some of those similar things happen for coach of the year. I'll take Brian Flores. I think the Dolphins are going to take another step. And if you get, you know, six, uh, you get seven wins out of that Dolphins team, I think you can't understate how good of a job Flores did last year. I think he's going to do the same job this year. Uh, I'll take Brian Flores. I think there could be a a sneaky little jump in Miami. Yeah. I don't be surprised if like come mid December, like week 15, week 14, that there is legitimate. Can Miami get the seven seed buzz? Uh, That would, that would not stun me. I just think, it wouldn't stun me either. I just think they made a lot of progress. I think that, you know, it, it does depend on, you know, where you're at with Tua. Are you playing him straight away? Is Fitzpatrick the starter? But I was just impressed with what they did after everyone had wrote them off last year to win five. Uh, and I, I like them to take another little step this year. I think if they're, especially if they're playing Tua, I do think he's that good. Um, so I'll take Flores to be the, uh, coach of the year for uh for the Miami Dolphins for sure I just coach of the year is one of those things like MVP and I don't know how you feel about it Evan but you know there's the bias to the best team and and of course you know Mike Budenholzer has coached you know the best Milwaukee team and so you know he deserves to be in that race but I just I just don't think enough coaches get enough credit you know from people looking outside of it and going you know what Budenholzer did a great job coaching, you know, one of the best teams in the NBA. But, you know, you look at what the Thunder did or you look at, you know, what some of those other teams did. I think you're going to look at the same thing with the NFL. It's going to be hard to look around and go, oh, wow, you know, look, Den- you know, Denver's doing really well. You know, look what Pittsburgh did last year, where they were. If they take a step, you know, how can you how can you not um, have Tomlin in there? So, that, you know, there's just a bunch of those coaches that I, I think – don't get enough credit that I like to, to look at who out of that next crop is, you know, has a chance to break out. And I think Kingsbury could be in that uh, situation if Arizona's, you know, able to, to put seven, eight wins on the board. But I just like going a little bit more off the board with those coaches, the coach of the year selections, because I don't think those guys get enough credit. Yeah. Especially when like the coach of the years is so much of it is like a narrative and a storyline award of, did you defy expectations? And last year at the start of the NBA season, after the Chris Paul trade, it was like, Oh, poor Chris Paul. Now he's going to spend his career on an Oklahoma city team going nowhere and rebuilding. And they were able right. to turn it around and make the playoffs. But to wrap it up, we're going to go bold predictions. I have a semi bold and then a reasonably bold. So I'll start with my semi bold. And that is the Indianapolis Colts as a team are going to lead the NFL in rushing because the Indianapolis Colts last year, I think that 
Frank Reich looked over in the division and saw what the Tennessee Titans did with Derrick Henry, and they're like, okay, we can do that too because we have two absolute maulers on the front of the offensive line and Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson, two of the best run-blocking offensive linemen in the NFL. And unlike Tennessee, whose game plan was, we're just going to give the ball to Derrick Henry 35 times and I dare you to stop him, the Colts have a rotation of running backs that can cycle through. They have Marlon Mack, Naeem Hines. Oh, and by the way, we just drafted Jonathan Taylor. And on top of all of that, as a team last year, the Indianapolis Colts rushing the football lost three fumbles all of 2019. So when you look at all of those things in succession, and I, and I know the Baltimore Ravens brought in J.K. Dobbins and they have Lamar Jackson, but I'm going to take the Indianapolis Colts to lead the NFL in rushing as a team. Oh, that's a good one. Hey, as a Colts fan, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to argue with that. What is your uh, other prediction? Is that the Jacksonville Jaguars will not have the number one pick, and they will miss out on the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes because with the first pick in the 2021 NFL draft, the Chicago Bears select Trevor Lawrence and not the Jacksonville Jaguars. Wow, that that's a that's a big one cuz I think that Jacksonville roster is uh one of the worst in the league and I think jettisoning Fournette, I think they're uh they're banking on that as well. So uh that's an interesting one. Uh, you're going off the board there for me. Well, it was going to be the Patriots missing the playoffs, but since we kind of agreed on that i sort of had to pivot and go with a secondary one i was thinking of because nick Foles versus mitch trubisky has to be like the most anticlimactic quarterback battle we can think of in a long time (laughs) and i just look at that team of minnesota got better and then they oh and they also traded for yannick and in minnesota so they improved their pass rush you're looking at a uh, potentially a pissed off chip on his shoulder, Aaron Rodgers. It's going to prove a point and say you messed up by drafting Jordan Love. And well, I I don't really know about the Detroit Lions. Like Detroit Lions could be anywhere between a sneaky good team to Matt Patricia gets fired by mid October and the team and the season just goes down the drain. So uh, I'm just gonna put hey, these are not binding at all, but I'm just gonna say somehow some way the Jacksonville Jaguars miss out on the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Yeah, no, that's a good one for sure. I have, I have a, I guess it would be considered a, I think it's definitely a bold prediction in terms of the amount of uh, running backs in the NFL that we have that are, you know, as prolific uh, and as steady as they are. But I I think the Raiders, Josh Jacobs is, um, is primed for a big year. I can see him winning the rushing title uh, this year for the Raiders. What he did last year, I feel like he should have won the offensive rookie of the year. I know a lot of that is, you know, biased and skewed towards quarterbacks. And so Kyler Murray and rightfully so for what Kyler Murray did, but Jacobs had 1150 yards. He also forced the most missed tackles uh, in the, uh, in the league. His, his year ended early because of a shoulder injury he had 204 uh, north of 240 carries last year. If they push that number closer to, you know, to 60, 275, 280, 
which I do think will be the case with him healthy, maybe pushing 300 carries. I like Josh Jacobs a lot. I think he's primed for a big year. I think he's going to be in the discussion uh, in contention for the rushing title all year. Uh, and, and he's a name that people need to watch out for uh, in this uh, upcoming season. Now, Josh Jacobs and the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, I don't really know what to expect from the, the Raiders in their first season in Vegas. Uh, w- one really, really quick final thing, because we should, we should get these in before the season starts. Super Bowl picks. My Super Bowl picks, Kansas City versus New Orleans and Mahomes and company repeats. You? Oh, that's a good one. I think that I'm going to go a little bit more off the board in the NFC. I do like Mahomes in Kansas City for this this one more year here. I'm going to go a little more bold and say Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys take a big step, make it to a Super Bowl. I think Kansas City repeats, but in in – in, uh, in in Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott, I trust here in the NFC. I think they will represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl picks from Cody Clark, Dallas and Kansas City. Of And if you know the history of those two franchises, Kansas City originally started their, their life in pro football as the Dallas Texans before eventually moving to Kansas City. With Kansas City repeating, I've got Kansas City versus New Orleans. With same result, Mahomes and Reed winning back-to-back Super Bowls. Cody, that wraps up our 2020 NFL season preview. This is going to be the most unique season of our lifetimes, and I feel like it probably was going to be anyway, even without the looming specter of COVID-19. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you know, the, the COVID, the coronavirus stuff only adds another layer to this i think we are primed and ready for you know a a big season in the nfl anyway but you know as we've seen unfortunately with the way that the coronavirus has affected so many people it is going to i think affect different players along the way hopefully that isn't you know some of your some of your big time stars uh we've we've not seen that be a huge huge issue in terms of so far NBA has done a nice job bubbling major league baseball has had cases, but they've, they've been able to manage it for the most part. I think the NFL will do the same, but just, you do have that added layer. That is uh, something else to keep in mind with such a violent sport uh, already having the chance for injuries like you have in the NFL. And I feel like that is a great place for us to wrap. So that concludes our from the booth podcast, 2020 NFL season preview. Thursday night, Houston versus Kansas City. The 2020 NFL season will officially begin. So for Cody Clark, I'm Evan Eichen saying so long, and we will see you next time.